Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Ukraine calling for more weapons and financial pressure on Russia as NATO members meet to discuss the war. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. will use sanctions against Beijing if it invades Taiwan or gives material support to Russia for its war in Ukraine. A leaked document from the Department of Homeland Security. Senior officials are told that one way to respond to an increase in migration is to release more apprehended migrants at the border into the United States. The increase may stem from the removal of Title 42. Ukrainians at the U.S.-Mexico border are waiting for entry on humanitarian parole conditions. They call the temporary shelters they're living in better place compared to the destruction in their homeland. Ukraine today called on the West to cut off all Russian energy and send more weapons. This as NATO members met to discuss the war. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky Thursday called on the West to, quote, bring Russia to justice, saying Moscow's actions were directed not only against Ukraine, but also Europe. Once and for all, we can teach Russia and any other potential aggressors that those who choose war always lose. Those who blackmail Europe with economic and energy crises always lose. Meanwhile, NATO and its allies met in Brussels Thursday to discuss the war in Ukraine. Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, pressed the West for more action on Russian energy. Uh, we will continue to insist on full oil and gas embargo uh, for Russia, on deswifting all Russian banks, on uh, making sure that all ports are closed for Russian vessels. The UK's foreign minister says in the face of Moscow's aggression in Ukraine, they're stepping up their efforts. The UK is now banning all imports of Russian energy. We're sanctioning more banks and we're stepping up our supply of weapons to Ukraine. The European Union promised a fifth round of sanctions by Friday, which includes Russian energy for the first time, but only coal. And Australia announced more sanctions on Russian elites. In addition to financial pressure, Kuleba also called for more arms and equipment from NATO allies. My agenda is very simple. It has only three items on it. It's weapons, weapons, and weapons. Earlier this week, the United States authorized another $100 million in aid to Ukraine for more Javelin anti-armor weapons. The Kremlin says Washington's decision will probably hurt peace talks. Pumping weapons into Ukraine in various formats will probably not contribute to the success of Russian-Ukrainian talks. Of course, this will most likely have a negative effect. The Kremlin also said it was bewildered by the U.S. sanctions against Vladimir Putin's adult daughters. And Moscow intends to respond as it sees fit. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The Senate has voted to revive a program that allowed the U.S. to support allies during World War II. A bill known as the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lend-Lease Act of 2022 is part of an effort to support Ukraine against Russian aggression. The bill gives the president the authority to enter into agreements with the government of Ukraine to, quote, lend or lease defense articles to that government to protect civilian populations in Ukraine from Russian military invasion. Ukraine's foreign minister said he is grateful to the U.S. and calls the bill an important first step in expediting the delivery of military equipment to Ukraine. 
DHS has a contingency plan to deal with an expected increase in illegal immigrants after the removal of Title 42. That's according to a leaked document published by Breitbart News. It shows that senior officials were told one way to respond to the increase would be to offer broad-scale release mechanisms for illegal immigrants. That means many illegal immigrants apprehended at the border would be released into the U.S. It's a 115-page document dated February 17th. The plan was put in place to comply with Biden's executive order. That order directed officials to address the causes of migration and to provide safe and orderly processing of illegal immigrants claiming asylum once they cross into the U.S. The plan is a response to an expected surge in irregular immigration stemming from the repeal of Title 42. The document says the repeal will have a direct impact on officials at the border and their ability to hold and process border crossers. It also notes the surge will be partially due to the perception that it'll be easier to enter the country. The Biden administration announced the decision to repeal Title 42 on April 1st. Title 42 was a public health order that allowed for illegal immigrants to be quickly expelled so as to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And more info on the DHS. According to the White House, the department is giving cell phones to illegal border crossers. They're given the devices before they're released into the United States as part of a program called Alternative to Detention. Under it, officials are handing out cell phones and ankle monitors so they can track the people who've crossed the border. That's to make sure they show up for scheduled court dates. Press Secretary Jen Psaki outlines some of the other methods used to identify and keep tabs on them. Telephonic, which is one of them, which is uses a participant's voice to create a biometric voice print during the enrollment process. And when the participant has a check-in call, their voice is compared to the voice print. Smart Link, which is another option, enables participant monitoring via smartphone or tablet using facial matching technology to establish identity. Usually, illegal border crossers who are released into the United States get a court date scheduled years down the road. Most single women and women with families are being released with a cell phone. It's an alternative to ankle monitors, but still means authorities can track their whereabouts. That's according to an ICE agent who spoke to the Epic Times, who asked to remain anonymous. Large groups of Ukrainian refugees have arrived at the Mexican border. They are waiting for entry into the U.S., Some say the temporary shelters are a better place when compared to what is going on in their home. Ukrainians' refugees are gathering in Tijuana, Mexico, after surviving the invasion of their country. They are waiting to cross the border into the United States on humanitarian parole conditions. One coordinator says 2,000 refugees have already passed through their doors. People are coming, about 300 people every day. Many temporary shelters have popped up. Among them, this basketball arena was set up by volunteers from nonprofit Agape Ministries. It's a sport arena, so we call it hub. Uh, when uh, people are coming to airport, we bring in people here, and they're staying here for two, three days. We're feeding people, and uh, just for them, uh, kind of taking care of them. But here, refugees can only sleep on yoga mats or makeshift beds. For us, it's difficult. A little cold at night, it's cold, yes. But, you know, we stay not dangerous, we stay without war. Because we think about our people who, who live, who stay now in bravery, in Kiev, in Bucha, in Ukraine. A refugee from Bucha called it a perfect place when compared with what's happening in her home. 
it's perfect. I'm so thankful for all these guys, all these volunteers that helps us Ukrainians, that we have food, we have place to, to sleep, you know, we have everything. Because like people in Mariupol, for example, they don't have anything, no water, not, no food, nothing. They still need to wait for humanitarian parole status to enter the United States. And in San Isidro, California, other Ukrainians are celebrating their successful entry. I just want to say thank God we made it. God has blessed us and we are alive and well. The trip was certainly a very hard, long trip, but we are very happy, very, very happy. Earlier this week, U.S. Customs and Border Protection said the agency was ramping up personnel and resources at the southwest border. That amid an expected increase in arrivals after the U.S. lifts Title 42, a pandemic-era policy that shut down asylum at the border. Ukrainian refugees fleeing their homeland have traveled to Mexico in hopes of entering the U.S. We hear from immigration attorney Andres Meyer. He talks about how the repeal of Title 42 and President Biden's pledge to welcome 100,000 Ukrainian refugees plays into this. Sure. I mean, we've seen a steady uptick since the start of the war. Uh, last year, I think there was about 1,000 Ukrainians in total. Now, in the period of the past six weeks, we've already had 2,000 Ukrainians that have presented themselves to the southern border. Initially, they were denied entry under Title 42. About a week and a half ago, an exception was made for Ukrainians. They are going to be allowed an opportunity to enter and make a claim for, for asylum. But the, the reality is there's a very stark difference between how the Ukrainians are treated and how other immigrants are being treated at the southern border. So do you, you know, make this, do you, do you consider this to be a double standard? I don't know whether it's a double standard, but looking at it objectively, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, look what happened in, in, in Haiti. Uh, so yes, by all accounts, of course, horrible circumstances in Ukraine, not taken away from their pain or, or, or what's going on there. But we have, at the same token, president of Haiti was murdered. There was a hurricane. There's a lot, there's hundreds of thousands of refugees outside of Haiti as well. Then there's what's going on in Central and South America. There are refugees that are trying to come to the United States for the past year and a half. There's been 2.6 million apprehensions at their southern border in the past 18 months alone. Those are pretty significant numbers. And 58% of them are being automatically rejected under Title 42. Ukrainians, however, are being allowed to come in right away. Now, volunteers have told CBS that about 150 Ukrainian refugees are being admitted into the United States. Do you think that this is part of the Biden administration's plan to welcome 100,000 Ukrainian refugees? So Biden did announce that he's going to uh, admit 100,000. However, that process, it's a, there's a specific process. It goes through the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program. I don't believe these 2,000 are meant to be a part of the 100,000. That process, they're going to get, the individuals get interviewed by, by a, a, a non-governmental entity. They then get processed to U.S. RAP, Refugee Admissions Program, and then they get resettled to the United States. It's, I do not believe people presenting themselves at the southern border was intended to be a part of the 100,000. However, it's, it is the administration's decision whether they want to consider them as part of that program. They certainly could do so.
Just in, the United Nations General Assembly suspended Russia from the UN Human Rights Council over reports of gross and systematic violations and abuses of human rights by invading Russian troops in Ukraine. The U.S.-led push garnered 93 votes in favor, while 24 countries voted no and 58 countries abstained. A two-thirds majority of voting members, abstentions do not count, was needed to suspend Russia from the 47-member council. Suspensions are rare. Libya was suspended in 2011 because of violence against protesters by forces loyal to then-leader Muammar Gaddafi. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen directed some strong remarks toward Beijing on Wednesday. She said the U.S. would sanction China should it invade Taiwan or support Russia materially in its war in Ukraine. At a House hearing, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was asked if the U.S. was poised to sanction Beijing if it invades Taiwan. She answered affirmatively. Am I to hear from you um, that you're open to all tools available in the event that China moves aggressively towards Taiwan? Absolutely. I believe we've shown that we can, in the case of Russia, we threatened significant consequences. We've imposed significant consequences. And I think that you should not doubt our ability and resolve to do the same in other situations. Beijing has been criticized for its stance on Moscow since the war started in Ukraine. The Communist Party parrots Russian propaganda and censors negative perspectives of Russia's invasion at home. It also refuses to condemn Russian aggression and has repeatedly blamed the U.S. and NATO for instigating the conflict. And if China provides material support for Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman echoed Secretary Yellen's position. If China, in any way, shape, or form, uh, provides material support uh, to uh, Putin in this premeditated, unjust, and unprovoked invasion, there will be consequences. She said the breadth of international sanctions against Russia should serve as an alert to China and its leader. Uh, Sanctions that are not only from the United States, but in unprecedented fashion, uh, coordinated with our allies and partners, not just in Europe, but throughout the world, um, gives uh, President Xi I think, a pretty good understanding of what might come his way uh, should he, in fact, uh, support uh, Putin in any material fashion. Meanwhile, Taiwanese and Japanese media are reporting that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is likely to visit Taiwan following her trip to Japan this weekend. Although Pelosi's office and the Taiwanese government have not yet confirmed this, China's foreign ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian threatened that the regime would take, quote, strong measures in response to the visit. Finnish Customs said they had stopped works of art worth around $46 million from being returned to Russia last weekend due to European Union sanctions. The agency said it would consult with Brussels on the item's status as luxury goods. In the video, packing crates can be seen in storage. That's part of the hall of paintings, statues, and antiques back on their way back to Russia via Finland. They're coming from Italy and Japan, where they were temporarily on loan from Russian museums and art galleries. Finnish customs officials said the artworks are considered luxury items that fall under the EU's sanctions against Russia. Those sanctions were imposed for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The confiscated items remain Russian property and would be stored under the supervision of the Finnish Heritage Agency. 
A Russian news agency quoted the Russian Ministry of Culture as saying that the works of art had been loaned to Italy from the collections of Russia's leading art galleries. Some of those include the Hermitage Museum, an estate museum in St. Petersburg, as well as a state gallery in Moscow. Finnish customs suspect a dozen people involved in the transportation of trying to breach sanctions rules. Last month, two museums in Milan said they would return several works of loaned art after Russian museums requested their early return. The Russian government's ban on Instagram is taking a toll on small businesses. For some small businesses in Russia, Instagram is one of their most important trading platforms. Here are the details. In March, the Russia government banned access to Instagram and Facebook, accusing the platforms of extremist activities. Some small business owners in Russia are lamenting the ban. One of them is a designer based in St. Petersburg who started selling nightlights in 2017. We could say that the product was born on Instagram. The first post appeared there. We didn't find any alternative to Instagram. We progressed together with it. Our audience was growing. The founder of a Russian social media marketing agency called Fragency explains how big an impact the ban has made on brands so far. Young audience, brands with a young audience generally don't have issues with their advertising reach. As far as I understand, approximately 5 to 15 percent of the audience is being lost who were on Instagram before. She says the future existence of small businesses on Instagram in Russia remains uncertain. They will have to depend on using virtual private networks or VPNs that bypass internet blocks. Perhaps we will manage to find a faster internet with VPNs, then the part of the audience feeling uncomfortable will come back to Instagram. If there are laws that regulate the use of VPN, then the situation will be worse. Instagram will likely lose more audience. Russia's own social media platform VK had a significant influx of active users over the past week. But not every small business is happy with using VK. 90% of my work orders are on Instagram. I received only two orders from VK for the entire time the workshop has existed. I got 100% work orders from Instagram. VK is useless. He owns a glass-blowing workshop in St. Petersburg and uses recycled bottled glass for making interior items. He says that VK is incomparable to Instagram. Up next, the January 6th committee holds two former Trump aides in contempt of Congress. Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino face legal punishment if convicted. The NYPD arrests homeless people and advocates while cleaning out a homeless encampment in New York City. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Former President Trump aides Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino were held in contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with subpoenas from the January 6th committee. The House voted to refer the charges to the Justice Department for possible prosecution. Navarro is a former White House trade advisor, and Dan Scavino was Trump's deputy chief of staff for communications. The vote came after both Navarro and Scavino refused to testify before the committee. They cited claims of executive privilege as former White House advisors. Navarro was accused of being involved in a plot to delay Congress's certification of the 2020 presidential election. 
The panel said that Scavino attended multiple meetings with Trump. During the floor debate, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy accused the January 6th committee of criminalizing dissent. He called it a political show trial. If convicted, the pair could face up to a year in federal prison, fines of up to $100,000 or both. A defendant who entered the U.S. Capitol building on January 6, 2021, was acquitted of all four charges. Matthew Martin was a federal contractor working at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. He was accused of committing crimes when he entered the Capitol for about 10 minutes after the breach. His bench trial began this week. Martin testified that a police officer allowed him to enter the building through the rotunda. The U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump appointee, ruled the charges against him were not valid. He described Martin's testimony as largely credible and called him a silent observer of the actions of others. The judge said Martin's move was as minimal and non-serious as anyone else's at the Capitol that day. He is the first January 6th defendant to be acquitted of all charges. After being threatened with layoffs, low-wage Senate cafeteria workers could be getting a lifeline. The company that manages the cafeteria told dozens of workers they would no longer have jobs in just a matter of days. Democratic senators said Wednesday they have found the funds to stop the layoffs, as many as 81, that were set to begin next week. The contractor, Restaurant Associates, hasn't yet confirmed that no one will be let go. The company says it is, quote, very encouraged, but is still waiting for official word that there is money to save the jobs. Restaurant Associates has cited instability in the budget process, meaning any victory now could be short-lived. The Supreme Court is restoring a Trump-era water rule. The former president's action aimed to ensure energy infrastructure development, but a rule within the Cleaner Water Act has been used to block natural gas pipelines and other projects. Trump's action was meant to loosen the restriction and thereby spur development. Opposition came from environmental groups, Native American tribes, and other states opposed to Trump's executive action. They argued that Trump's rule harmed the environment and that it drastically limits the role states and tribes can play in Section 401 reviews. Republican Senator Josh Hawley is seeking tougher punishment for child sex offenders, but his efforts have come to a standstill. On Tuesday, a top Democrat blocked Hawley's bill that mandated a five-year minimum sentence for possession of child pornography. NTD's Grace Coulter brings us the details. A bill to enhance the penalties for possessing child pornography and prevent judges from sentencing offenders below the federal guidelines has been stopped in its tracks. The bill, introduced by Republican Senator Josh Hawley, was blocked by Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin Tuesday. In his objection, Durbin questioned Hawley's timing. I have to ask myself, why now? Why does the junior senator from Missouri bring this bill to the floor of the United States Senate today? Durbin went on to assert that it's solely because of Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson. For weeks, Hawley has grilled Jackson on her history of giving child pornography offenders shorter sentences than what government guidelines recommend. The senator asks why now? Why act now? Because it's a crisis now. Because there are 85 million images of children being exploited on the internet now. Because child exploitation is exploding in this country now. They say, oh, Judge Jackson, it's not her fault. You should act in the law to change the law. 
But when we come to change the law and to do what this Congress did in 2003, to do it now in 2022, a measure that Senator Durbin supported in 2003, he says, oh, no, no, we don't need to act now. Why do it's rushed? Durbin likewise pointed to the law he supported in 2003, but noted that it was struck down by the Supreme Court in 2005. Durbin acknowledged that there are valid questions around sentencing guidelines, but ultimately said that the guidelines in Hawley's bill don't reflect the reality of today. We know as well that uh, the guidelines were written, some were written in an era when the materials we're talking about were physical materials, and we now live in a world of internet and access to not just tens and hundreds, but thousands of images, if that is your decision. Meanwhile, child advocates have argued that exactly because we now live in a world of internet with easy access to thousands of images, the penalties need to be harsher to create a greater deterrent. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Five late-term abortions were reportedly performed in a questionable manner in Washington, D.C., and might have been illegal. Now, a coalition of 23 Republican members of Congress is demanding Mayor Muriel Bowser and the Department of Justice to look into these abortions. The Daily Wire reports that a box with dismembered babies was discovered by a group called the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. The box reportedly contains five late-term aborted babies whose bodies had already formed. Some say the babies might actually have been born alive and then died after birth. One of them had her skull crushed and her brain removed in a manner consistent with partial birth abortion or infanticide. Late-term abortions up until the moment of birth are legal in Washington, D.C. But once a baby is born, it has to be taken care of and can't be allowed to die. Washington police say they think the fetuses were aborted legally. What we're seeing now is they, those fetuses were aborted in accordance with D.C. law. So we are not investigating this incident along those lines. But the GOP lawmakers urging investigation say they aren't sure how D.C. police came to this conclusion. Their letter to the mayor reads, instead of ensuring that the horrific deaths of these children were properly investigated, Metropolitan Police made the assumption that each child died as the result of a legal abortion. It is our understanding that this assumption was made without conducting any medical evaluations. We also understand from press reports that the D.C. medical examiner does not plan to perform autopsies on the children. This is completely unacceptable. Prosecutors charged two men for posing as federal agents. The men gave lavish gifts to Secret Service agents, including to one whose job is to protect the First Lady. Four Secret Service agents have also been placed on leave. The alleged posers were discovered while the Postal Service was investigating an assault at the building the men allegedly operated out of. They're accused of identifying themselves as being part of a non-existent Homeland Security unit investigating issues connected with the January 6th Capitol breach. A 36-year-old and a 40-year-old man were taken into custody after over a dozen FBI agents charged into a luxury apartment in Washington. Court documents say the men gave Secret Service agents rent-free apartments, including luxury living spaces. They also gave them iPhones, surveillance equipment, and other electronics and policing tools. Authorities did not reveal what they think the men were hoping to accomplish. 
The Arizona Supreme Court declines to hear a Republican Party request to deem the state's early voting system as unconstitutional. The court ruled that the case didn't meet the criteria for a lawsuit filed directly to the state's high court, but said the Republican Party could take its case to the Maricopa County Superior Court. The lawsuit asserts that mail-in voting and other forms of early voting are invalid because the Arizona Constitution specifically directs voters to cast their ballots in person. Arizona's early voting system was adopted in 1991 and has expanded since then. It wasn't immediately known if the GOP would refile the case in Superior Court. Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat who is running for governor, praised the court's decision. Governor Doug Ducey, a Republican, also voiced opposition to the lawsuit, claiming it would undo the work of many Republican governors and secretaries of state over the years. Protesters and homeless people were detained by police as sanitation workers cleaned up a homeless encampment in the East Village neighborhood of New York City. Authorities moved in to clear tents, blankets, and other belongings as part of a push for better living conditions for the homeless launched by Mayor Eric Adams. Police arrested two homeless people and several homeless advocates who, for hours, had shielded a handful of homeless people from being removed. The homeless people had been squatting at the location on 9th Street for days before the latest action. A homeless man said Adams was voted into office on the promise he would deal with the city's homelessness problem, but the man said he thought it was too big of a problem to solve. Police have already cleared more than 250 such encampments, more than half of them in Manhattan. Advocates for the homeless have denounced the mayor's move, but Adams says to let people live in these conditions is inhumane. Next up, a World War II veteran speaks about a new Michigan State Memorial. He'll be among those on hand Thursday afternoon when ground is broken for the site. Find out more in just a moment. World War II veteran is about to realize his dream of building a Michigan State World War II memorial. The Oak Park resident sailed on a Navy destroyer in the Pacific Theater when he was just 18 years old. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Okay. Art Fishman will be among those on hand Thursday afternoon when ground is broken for the Michigan World War II Legacy Memorial. It's more important than people think. Why? Because if it's handled right, it will teach the next generation what the war was about, why we were there, what did we fight for? We fought for liberty. The groundbreaking includes the laying of more than 1,200 donated Walk of Honor paver bricks, the installation of both the statue called Joe, which depicts a soldier in a foxhole reading a letter from home, and flagpoles representing all military branches. Future phases will feature a wall of stars honoring the 15,000-plus Michigan lives lost during World War II, a Rosie the Riveter statue, an amphitheater, and a colonnade of pillars. Maybe that was a reason I've lived this long, as I could see something I felt so sincere about that should happen so that everybody else can see what the great generation really was. The honorary markers will be built in Memorial Park in Royal Oak, about 20 miles north of Detroit. 
More than a dozen veterans organizations are set to be present, including members of the American Legion, Tuskegee Airmen, disabled American veterans, and Michigan Jewish war veterans. Fishman is scheduled to speak on behalf of the assembled World War II veterans. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Missouri judge has dismissed all criminal charges in the deadly duck boat sinking near Branson in 2018. Three men were originally charged after 17 people died in the capsizing of the amphibious vehicle during a storm. The boat's captain, the general manager of the ride, and the manager on duty that day. An investigation found the managers did not relay a severe weather forecast to the vessel's captain, and the National Transportation Safety Board found the tour operator and its parent company, Ripley Entertainment, were to blame for the tragedy. However, a judge wrote that the court did not find enough evidence the defendants acted recklessly or knowingly when they took the duck boat out into the lake as the storm approached. The case was dismissed without prejudice, which means prosecutors can retry the case. A four-year-old New York boy who fell six stories from an apartment window Tuesday is listed in stable condition. The NYPD released dramatic body cam video of officers rushing to help the boy after the fall from a six-floor apartment window in the Bronx. Police say he was alert and conscious after the fall. Officers did not wait for an ambulance to arrive and rushed him to Lincoln Hospital in a squad car where he was immediately met by EMTs. Will Smith could get slapped with sanctions for slapping Chris Rock at this year's Oscars. That's what will be up for discussion this Friday when the Board of Governors for the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences meets. The meeting was initially scheduled for the 18th, but the board decided to move it up, saying it's in everyone's best interest to handle this sooner rather than later. Smith has already resigned from the Academy, but the board says they're considering disciplinary proceedings for violations of the Academy's standards of conduct. Play ball. Grab your peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Today is Major League Baseball's opening day. There are seven openers kicking off the 162-game season. It's a sigh of relief for fans after a 99-day lockout. MLB and the Players Union reached a deal on a new collective bargaining agreement less than a month ago, bringing an end to the first league work stoppage since the players went on strike during the 1994 season. Major League Baseball will be using new technology to replace hand signals for the upcoming season. The league informed clubs this week that the use of Pitchcom, a wearable device that transmits signals from catcher to pitcher, will be permitted this season. The device had been used in some minor leagues last year and for big leaguers in spring training this season on an experimental basis. Catchers can wear it as a wristband to communicate the type of pitch and location. The pitcher and up to three defensive players can then hear the instructions through receivers in their caps. An encrypted channel can be used in multiple language and teams can program in code words to replace common pitch names. The new technology is expected to cut down on sign stealing while improving the pace of play. As more documents and messages surface from Hunter Biden's laptop this week, President Biden has several times denied having any knowledge of his son's overseas business dealings. However, newly released emails seem to say otherwise. 
NTD's Chenny Wu tells us more. According to emails released by Fox News, in 2017, President Biden appeared to have written a college recommendation letter for the son of a Chinese businessman linked to Hunter Biden. At the time that emails were sent, Joe Biden had just stepped down as vice president less than a month ago. The emails reviewed by Fox News Digital were found on a laptop that formerly belonged to Hunter. They're between Hunter and his business associates involved in his firm Rosemont Seneca's joint venture with Chinese investment firms Bohai Capital and BHR. In the email chain, a Chinese businessman by the name of Jonathan Lee asked for advice relating to his son's application to American universities, including Brown, Cornell and New York University. Weeks later, Eric Schwerin, who was then serving as the president of Rosemont Seneca, replied to Lee. He wrote, Hunter asked me to send you a copy of the recommendation letter that he asked his father to write on behalf of Christopher for Brown University. However, President Biden has several times denied knowledge of his son's business activities. On Sunday, Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, told ABC News that the president believes that Hunter did not break the law. And on Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki again reiterated that the president has never spoken with his son about his overseas business dealings. But that raises the question of why Biden would agree to write the recommendation letter for the Chinese executive's son. Reports about the younger Biden's laptop first surfaced in late 2020, with just days to go before the general election. But social media platforms quickly moved to suppress them. But in recent weeks, The Washington Post and other news outlets have now verified the emails and documents on the laptop. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware is investigating Hunter Biden for alleged tax fraud, lobbying crimes and money laundering. NTD is not able to independently verify these claims, and Hunter Biden's attorney did not respond to requests for comment before airtime. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And we have an update on the pandemic situation in Shanghai. The citywide lockdown has been extended, and some locals have had enough. Video clips circulating online show residents breaking out of their quarantined compound. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the details. Shanghai is extending its citywide lockdown. The strict measures were originally set to end Tuesday. But just before lifting that lockdown, Shanghai reported 17,000 new cases of COVID-19 Tuesday, marking the fifth day in a row the city had a new high. But due to the Chinese regime's tight control over what information is released and its history of underreporting virus cases, that number may be much higher in reality. On Wednesday, the city launched another round of mass testing for residents. Meanwhile, Shanghai authorities partly walked back a highly controversial policy, the decision to separate COVID-positive children from their parents. On Wednesday, a Shanghai health official said guardians of COVID-positive children with so-called special requirements could apply to escort the sickened kids, but added the parents must sign a letter acknowledging the risks. The official did not give specifics on what special requirements qualify or how parents can apply. Stuck under Shanghai's lockdown, some locals decided enough was enough. A video clip started circulating online last weekend, capturing a crowd of residents breaking out of their quarantine compound. According to the person who shared the video, the residents just wanted to leave the area to buy groceries. 
Another similar clip was posted on Monday, showing people rushing out of a quarantine site. The man who shot the video gave more details. He explained that the building has been under lockdown for four days, adding, quote, there's absolutely no food. People are starving and cannot bear it anymore. The situation appeared to escalate soon after, involving both a crowd of protesters and local police. In the clip, a man can be heard saying the police want to arrest people, but people won't let the police do it. Coming up, the world's rarest marine mammal, the vaquita porpoise, is on the edge of extinction. Experts say illegal fishing in the Gulf of California is part of the problem. All that and more after this short break. In the Bolivian capital of La Paz, a 100-foot wall went crashing down on top of three houses. Here's that footage. <laughs> Authorities say the wall was weakened and dampened by heavy rains, which have lashed the city in recent days. La Paz Mayor Ivan Arias said authorities detected the problem hours before the collapse. Thankfully, five families living in the homes below the wall were evacuated. One victim said the movement of the earth was making a very specific noise in the afternoon, and at night, the wall fell down. Workers were seen removing debris from the site, while residents salvaged what belongings they could on Wednesday. Efforts are underway in Mexico to save the vaquita, a critically endangered species of porpoise. Experts and local residents say illegal fishing and overfishing in the Gulf of California threaten the existence of the animals. Here are the details. In January, the Mexican Navy and NGO Sea Shepherd began Operation Miracle to protect the vaquitas reserve in the Gulf of California. Biologists estimated that only 6 to 20 vaquitas were left in 2018 and more vaquitas die each year in fishing nets than the number that are born. It was pretty clear that there was uh, one or two for sure, maybe even more. And a couple years ago, we thought, in, in 2019, we thought there were three. So, um, w um, but we saw one or two. Again, it was, you know, it's hard to see them with the weather and one thing or another. Um, but clearly there are, they are breeding. And that is really good news. The vaquita is the world's smallest cetacean and the rarest marine mammal. They often become entangled and die in fishing nets in the region, and illegal fishing is part of the problem. What impacts us the most are not legal fishermen. We are talking about 10 to 15 percent of legal fishing. The rest do not have the correct paperwork. It affects the ecology. It affects us because we have to fish much more because they make the products cheaper. To prevent illegal fishing, fishermen are required to pass a government inspection before taking to the water, but not all of them are complying. These are not just arbitrary ways of us imposing anything, but a previous joint effort to set standards with fishermen. The vaquita is on the World Wildlife Fund's list of critically endangered species. More than 163 wildlife species were released back into lagoons and forests in Colombia this week. 
Authorities fighting wildlife trafficking previously seized and rehabilitated the animals. The animals include 15 different species such as anteaters, turtles, macaws, a toucan, and a leopard. Fauna vets from environmental authorities nurtured the animals back to health. Authorities say, quote, we help conserve, preserve, and mitigate the damage we as human beings have caused to the environment or the habitat. We help these species, which have been illegally retained, to return to their natural habitat to conserve and preserve ecosystems. Authorities released more than 1,200 animals back into the wild last year alone. Colombia is one of the world's most biodiverse countries by square mile and is home to some 10% of the world's flora and fauna. Just ahead, awards, paintings, scripts, jewelry, and red carpet outfits from the homes of Betty White are up for auction. They're now displayed at Julian's Auctions in Beverly Hills, ahead of a sale set for late September. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. British architect Norman Foster is combining architecture and art with a lifelong passion for automobiles. The exhibition is called Motion, Autos, Art, Architecture, and it's at the Guggenheim in Bilbao, Spain. The exhibition examines the aesthetic and technological aspects of the automobile and links them with art, sculpture, architecture, photography, and cinema. In one room, a sculpture by Henry Moore is contrasted with a Hispano-Suiza H6B Dubonnet, while an Alexander Calder mobile hangs above a Bugatti-type 57SC. A silver-colored Aston Martin DB5 is featured in one exhibit. It's parked alongside a screen showing James Bond's epic race down a Swiss mountain pass in 1965's Goldfinger. Foster believes that the show is a first of its kind. While the exhibition celebrates automobile design, there is a sad note to it. The fortunes of the internal combustion engine are declining, and the use of gasoline-fueled cars is falling. Personal items that used to belong to the iconic comedic actress Betty White are set to go up for auction in September. The Golden Girls actress died on December 31, 2021. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Awards, paintings, scripts, jewelry, and red carpet outfits all up for auction. The prized items came from homes belonging to the Golden Girls actress Betty White and were put on display at Julian's Auctions in Beverly Hills on Tuesday. This is an auction representing an incredible life and career. It's a lifestyle auction. All these items came from her home in Brentwood or her residence in Carmel in Northern California that she lived with her husband, Alan Ludden. White started her entertainment career in radio in the late 1930s. By 1952, White had her own television series, Life with Elizabeth, and then went on to play iconic roles in the Mary Tyler Moore Show and the Golden Girls. She was one of the first recipients of a star on the Walk of Fame in 1960. A smaller replica is one of the items up for auction. Betty got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960. That was the year that the Hollywood Walk of Fame was incorporated and started, and she was one of the very first people. 1960, that's an incredible lifetime since then, and she was performing right up until the very end. One of the most sentimental items is a gold watch. I think uh, one of the really most personal items is a watch, um, 14-karat gold watch that was gifted to Betty December 25, 1940, uh, with the initials TCW, which of course is Tess White, Betty's mom. 
The live auction is scheduled to run from September 23rd to the 25th in Beverly Hills. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Disney is bringing hugs back again. Fans going to the U.S. parks will be able to give hugs, sign autographs, or interact up close with their favorite characters in mid-April. Mickey Mouse will soon be able to hug again. In a blog post last week, Disney said starting April 18th, personal interaction between visitors and costumed characters will be allowed again at Disneyland in California, Walt Disney World in Florida, and on Disney Cruises. For nearly two years, costumed characters at U.S. Disney parks have kept their distance from visitors because of the pandemic. The parks closed temporarily in spring 2020. After the parks reopened that summer, costumed characters could only be seen waving from a distance in the parks or in parades. Last fall, the parks allowed the characters to meet up individually with visitors, but they were only allowed to greet visitors and have their photos taken from a distance. According to the company, not all the traditional locations for character greetings will be open right away. They will be reopened in phases. Since the beginning of March, an environmental group has been documenting the growth of a bald eagle chick. A recent naming contest for the chick has come to a close and the results are in. Meet Spirit, the bald eagle chick. Friends of Big Bear Valley operates a live stream on the nest and held the naming contest. The contest received over 2,600 entries and nearly 10,000 ideas for names. In the end, Spirit, submitted by Patty G, won the vote. The second place name was Little Dipper and third place was Hunter. The organization says Spirit will become more mobile and interested in its surroundings over the next few weeks. It will walk on toes with more confidence, perch on sticks in the nest, and grasp nesting materials with talons. Calls for food from its parents, Jackie and Shadow, will become louder and more persistent. Friends of Big Bear Valley's website has the live streaming footage of the Eagles for those who can't get enough. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.